Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined this week by my co-hosts, Joe Chung and Mark Osterman. On this week's show, we're going to talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland and Walt Disney World, and whether as a casual fan you should make a trip out to either coast. We'll also talk about Chase's best card, is it the ink preferred, in the wake of the uh, Sapphire Reserve devaluation. And we'll talk a little bit about the Iranian missile attack on the Ukrainian plane and what does that mean for travelers and how does it affect us personally. If you're liking the show and you want to subscribe, you can find all of the links at mtmpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much any podcast app and all of the links mtmpodcast.com. And finally, if you do like the show, consider leaving us a review in your favorite podcast platform. It helps us reach more people and we really do appreciate the feedback. All right, now let's get into the show. Guys, you guys both uh, just got back from Florida, but you weren't together. You were in opposite parts of the state this week, right? Never together. Never together. I was at McDonald's <laughs> waiting, but no show again. Drove all that way. I just got to keep showing you up. Uh, one day when they build a McDonald's on top of the Empire State Building, Mark, that's where I'll meet you finally. <laughs> was this like Sleepless in Seattle or something? Yeah, Sleepless in Seattle, all those romantic movies. That's where we'll meet when they put the McDonald's up there on the Empire State Building. So this is just a love story that's still uh, developing. We haven't hit that. Uh... I could walk by Joe. He'd be, he wouldn't know who I was. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have no idea what Mark looks like. He's wearing sunglasses and his uh, icon, like, no idea who this guy is. But, Mark, you were in, actually in Jacksonville, right, with uh, visiting your parents on the beach there, right? Yeah, we did uh, Jacksonville, went to Jacksonville Beach uh, the first day, and the second day we went down to St. Augustine, which was pretty cool. I had not been down there. I'd heard good things, and it's a really cool city. Definitely undervalued, I think. I don't think it gets a lot of coverage for Florida, but it's a cool little town, the oldest city in the U.S., I guess, or oldest inhabited city in the U.S. A lot of stores, pubs, restaurants, all all kinds of stuff to do right on the water. So pretty cool place to check out for sure. And how did you pick the place? Was it just some place you'd always wanted to go? Or yeah, so my parents have. Uh, my dad travels a lot for work in the area, so he had been to St. Augustine a few times. And then my buddy I travel with the most said it's one of his favorite places he's been. He used to live down there in the area too, so that's how we decided to check it out. It was like number one thing on my list I wanted to do this past weekend, so definitely worth it. It was pretty cool. Yeah, the pictures looked really, really beautiful. I know you posted uh, a picture on Instagram of the beach, and that was uh, really nice. And it made me want to go up there. I've only kind of driven through that area, so I'll have to go maybe check it out and see some of the coastline up there. Yeah, the whole drive, the drive in between Jacksonville and uh, St. Augustine is like Point Point Verde or something like that. And it's just like miles and miles of beach. And there's these public access that you just park off to the side. And then you walk across the street and it's like there's a few houses as you get closer to St. Augustine. But for most of it, most of the drive, there's like no houses. It's just empty beach. And it's all like seashells crushed up. And I guess you can find like shark teeth and stuff. So kind of something unique, beautiful colors, like a a reddish type of sand looking type of thing. So definitely worth a drive pulling over, just walking over and checking out the beach. And there's nobody within miles sometimes, which is kind of crazy. And Joe, you were in Central Florida, right? In Orlando, predictably. (laughs) Does Joe go anywhere else in Florida besides (laughs) Orlando? Actually, I'm going to Miami in April, but I was going to say um, you were uh, leaving the listeners in suspense there by saying Central Florida, but uh, you said Orlando anyway. Yeah, I was at Disney World with my two older kids, my parents and my sister and her two kids. 
I know we're going to be talking about uh, Disney World a little bit in this episode, so I won't belabor the point here. But I will just say, you know, I really appreciated getting to travel with my parents and my sister, just doing the chungs, I guess, uh, minus my daughter, um, you know, the by blood chungs. Just, I don't know. You know, my parents are getting on an age. I'm getting on an age. Uh, I got all these physical problems. So it was just really great to be with the extended family. And we really had a good time. You know, my mom was really hamming it up. You know, she insisted on taking tons of pictures with her grandkids or the characters. But then uh, halfway through the trip, she's like, oh, I want pictures with just my kids too. So my sister, my mother and me were like taking pictures together. Like we were like 10 and 12 or something like that. Most hilariously, at some point, my mom decided to take a picture with Winnie the Pooh by herself. So it was really great just traveling with everyone. And, you know, I just feel really blessed uh, to get the chance to spend that time with my family. No family drama at all? No, very little, really. Uh, You know, I think uh, (laughs) I think my son was feeling a little bit left out by the other three kids for a little bit. But, Sean, you'll appreciate this. The people mover, Sean, turned himself and my niece, who is my sister's youngest, um, they turned into best friends over a shared love of the people mover. So by the time we left, uh, all the cousins were you know, best friends. And so it was super cute. The people mover is such an amazing ride that it brings families together. And it really does. It really does. It's just a beautiful thing. Now, I rode the people mover actually earlier tonight because I'm in Disney World now. And uh, Joe's been, you know, wondering, uh, I woke up really early this morning. And like he said, we'll talk more about uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge a little bit later. So I don't want to talk too much about Disney World. But she had to wake up really early this morning. And then we were riding the People Mover just about an hour and a half ago. And my daughter had a complete meltdown on the People Mover because she didn't like the seating arrangements because my wife decided to sit <laughs> next to me. So <laughs> so I guess uh, yeah, happens, those early mornings. Mover. Yeah, always so, meltdown. So yeah, they, it either brings families together or it completely destroys families, one or the other. But it's well, the worst ride. is when it like gets you know there was we were stuck for like five minutes on the people mover on this last trip. So imagine if you're one of those families uh, when that's happening. Yeah, I felt I felt horrible about uh, what she was doing to everybody else in the car, but eventually we calmed her down. But she needs to get a little bit of a little bit more sleep, I think. I think that might be one of my favorite thing of Disney World is just you always see at least one parent just completely lose their stuff. And just goes crazy on their kids. I don't know. Maybe it's the sadistic side of me, but I always I, I crack up a little bit inside. <laughs> well, the one thing the one thing about Disney World though is that like in general, unless someone's going like way overboard, nobody judges any parents for doing that. Not like no. it would be in like your local no. mall because everybody gets it. Like everyone understands like exactly what that moment is, and no one thinks that they would be above that moment. <laughs> Do you know how much you spent on this trip, and you're acting like this right now? You should be grateful <laughs> that mommy and daddy gonna, slaved over. Yeah, I'm gonna take you back to the hotel right now. Right now, <laughs> I love, yeah, they know I love, they, I love how everybody has those shirts too. Like we're broke now, but we're here at Disney. <laughs> the most expensive day ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's always uh, it's always fun. But yeah, it's I'm glad to be at Disney because it means that I escaped the hell that uh, was Atlantis the last few days before I got here. And I uh, there was a lot of drama about that on Twitter. I'm going to write about it. I don't want to talk about it too much here. But yeah, the, my stay in in Atlantis, I was really happy to say goodbye and and get out of the Bahamas because it just. Who doesn't like toilet water in their room? I mean, come on. Yeah, I I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil your post too much, but I just want to say, Sean, that I'm really disappointed that you decide to spray water all over your own hotel room and then complain about it. I mean, you're like the worst guest ever. What a jerk. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't even complain about the algae lazy river or people that was missing out of my room or 
many of the other things that I uh, came across during my couple of days. So that's a little bit of a teaser for a post coming this week. And maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more another time on the podcast. But as we hinted, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I know that, uh, you know, some people like, well, this isn't a Disney podcast, but Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is really um, you're going to see a huge marketing blitz for it. It's already actually started because now all of the attractions and rides are open. And so we thought uh, Joe had just visited there and he uh, had been there before. Um, I've been to Galaxy's Edge many times. I finally got to ride the new Rise of the Resistance ride. And Mark will just talk crap about it. So he's here yeah, uh, buddy. <laughs> for fun. But we thought we know a lot of people are interested in whether they should plan trips to Walt Disney World uh, or Disneyland for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And so we thought maybe we talk a little bit about that for kind of the mainstream perspective and whether this really is something different, whether the marketing really kind of lives up to the hype, you know, yeah, whether people should actually go out of their way to go uh, ride these new rides at Disney World, uh, at Disney's Hollywood Studios in Walt Disney World and at uh, Disneyland in California. So yeah, Joe, you want to start us off? You rode Rise of the Resistance first, and you've ridden it. I've only ridden it once. And that Rise of the Resistance uh, kind of back up is the main attraction in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which is a 15-acre expansion on both coasts. And it's kind of sp- supposed to be the most immersive theme park experience ever. And do you think it lives up to that, Joe? Yeah, I do. You know, for full disclosure, I was a fan of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge before Rise of the Resistance even opened. You know, I just really like kind of... I mean, it feels like you're transported to Batu, which is like the made up Star Wars planet, but it just feels like you're transported into the middle of a movie set. Um, and so I really liked it before Rise of the Resistance, but a lot of people felt like, you know, they needed that ride to make it complete. And if you didn't think it was complete before, I think it's tough to say that it's not a really amazing theme park land now that the ride is done. Uh, I think I talked about it a few episodes ago. You know, I haven't heard anyone be even lukewarm about it. Like it's a good ride at worst for anyone who rides it. Um, And it's really immersive. It does make you feel like you're a part of a Star Wars story. And so, you know, I think Disney has done an amazing job here. We can talk about whether it'll appeal to mainstream or stuff like that. But I'll start right now by saying if you are a theme park fan or a Star Wars fan, you know, you owe it to yourself to go check this out. Yeah, I agree. And my advice uh, for Galaxy's Edge coming in to before Rise of the Resistance open was to hold off because I just didn't think there was enough there to really draw people in. The one ride, the other ride in the land, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, was never designed to be the main ride, sort of carry the whole land. And it didn't carry the land. I don't think that it, I really did enjoy the immersiveness, but I didn't feel like that ride was enough to deliver the experience that I wanted, mainly because everything else costs money in there. And so Rise of the Resistance really was an important ride in order to, to for me to recommend it for people. And yes, I agree with you. If you are a theme park fan and you've been holding off, you should really get to see this because it, it's it's a whole different type of uh, attraction, kind of unlike we've ever seen before. It's not just uh, you wait in a line and then you get on a ride. Uh, it is more of an experience and there's several different you know parts to it. And it really is like you are, you know, they're doing their best to basically create this full on immersive experience. But uh, the, the interesting thing I, I saw today, and I'll, you know, I'd be interested to hear Mark's kind of take on what he thinks about what he wants to do. But I was talking to a few people in line before I actually wrote it today uh, in line for Tower of Terror. And we were saying that about half of them liked uh, Avatar Flight of Passage better than Rise of the Resistance. And I thought that was sort of interesting. And I really didn't kind of understand that perspective going in. But coming off the ride, I both thought the ride was amazing. I'm still forming all my thoughts about it. I still think 
I, I was kind of going back and forth with Joe earlier in text about this, whether I don't know that the ride itself is the best ride Disney has ever done, but the experience is the best thing overall, including the queue. And then there are multiple ride experiences within it and there's multiple stages and it's hard to kind of explain it. But the, the whole experience beginning to end is certainly the most complete theme park experience I've ever experienced. And I've been to every Disney park and I've been you know, over a thousand roller coasters and I've been to hundreds of theme park or amusement and theme parks. And it is the creme de la creme of uh, theme park experiences. Did I sell it to you, Mark? Are you ready to go? Uh, not really. <laughs> I, I don't know. Theming's always kind of lost on me. I think that's where our big disconnect is. I'm more about the thrills and, and the amusement park aspect of things versus theming, like the queue and stuff. I don't care about any of that. Like, I just want to get through the line, get on the ride, ride the ride. I don't care if they have like little hidden nooks and crannies while you're waiting in line. I just find it kind of annoying, but. I'm sure I'll give it a chance at some point. I, I've still never done the uh, the Avatar ride yet, so I haven't even done that. Uh, line waiting two hours for something isn't something I want to do now. You saying that they have the uh, digital queue or whatever um, that you're not waiting in line as as much uh, as you do for the Avatar ride. I think that's a that's a cool thing that I wish they would do for more of the bigger rides. That actually intrigues me more that you're they can go experience the, the rest of the park and do some other things before you have to come back to do the ride versus just standing in line for three hours. So I like that they did that. I wish they'd do it more, but I'm sure I'll get to it at some point, but it's not anything that I'm racing to get done. Sorry if I if I make you feel bad. <laughs> I don't feel bad at all. I think that I've said this to you many times. Disney, uh, really, especially Walt Disney World, uh, Disneyland's a little bit easier. You can kind of show up on the day and still have a good time with fast passes. Walt Disney World, you either really have to plan ahead or you have to be really diligent. Like tonight, for instance, I was at the Magic Kingdom for an hour and a half and I did eight things because I was just getting fast pass after fast pass after fast pass. While people were waiting 30 minutes in line, I was on my app getting a fast pass, using it, getting another one. And so when you really, you know, it really comes down to kind of taking advantage of the system, but, and, and maybe a good plug here for Joe's uh, Disney Deciphered podcast and for my Disney Hacks Facebook group and uh, DisneyHacks.com. So uh, Joe and I both have kind of arenas where you can learn more about how to maximize this stuff. But Joe, I wanted to talk a little bit about the virtual queue, because that is something that Disney hasn't done before. And I really like it. I think it's great. You get to the park, you kind of get a spot in line, and then you can go about your day and they call you. What do you think about the virtual queue that they're using in Galaxy's Edge? Yeah, I think it is great. The way it works right now uh, as we're recording, and I assume it'll work for the next, it'll probably be like this for the next month or so, is that you get into the park, the park officially opens at 7 a.m. And then at 7 a.m. on your app, you can get a virtual boarding queue number. If you don't have the app, you can uh, get it from, uh, you know, there are physical people that you can meet to get the boarding group app. The interesting thing is, Sean, I think for people like Mark, the idea of the virtual queue is good, but Mark is probably not getting to the park at 6.30 a.m. That's about how early you need to get there to get inside. You just have to be inside by 7 a.m. or have your ticket tapped. Um, So I, I think that is something that is helping diehard fans. Eventually, they're either going to have to change the system or increase capacity to get someone like Mark to go. I think Mark is actually probably a little bit below mainstream because there were a lot of random people in the queue who I know do not rope drop, which means get to the park right when it opens normally. Like you can just tell by the way people are talking that they're not normal Disney hackers or rope droppers, goers. And so, you know, mainstream people are showing up early at like 6, 6.30 a.m., but, you know, not everyone's going to do it. Like my dad is not going to do it. 
for example. I just learned a new term, rope dropper. That's, it sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> it's less sexy than you think, Mark. It's just somebody who makes their whole family wake up really early so they can go into the park and ride a lot of rides before everybody else gets there. So selfish. You're so selfish. One one might say rope droppers probably get less action in their family because their spouses are mad at them. <laughs> yes. And I'm not a rope dropper. I don't like getting to the parks. I mean, I, I do like the benefits of it because there are a lot less lines, but I'm always generally exhausted when I do it, even though I'm a big Star Wars fan, big theme park fan. So, of course, I'm going to wake up early for this. But in general, I wouldn't do that. So I am going out of my way to wake up early. As I said, I, there was some repercussions today with my daughter having a complete meltdown, even after she had a nap. So, yeah, it's not always the the fun thing. But I mean, I think to sum it up, I think, yeah, Star Wars fans, theme park fans, even if you like are somebody who says, yeah, I love Disney. I think, yeah, I think this is a place that you really want to go and see and it's going to be an experience that's going to be fulfilling on a lot of levels if you're just sort of a casual fan i think you're still going to like it more than a lot of things and do you think that joe do you think people really need to know what star wars you know kind of know star wars in order to enjoy this or they can just sort of enjoy it on its own i really think that if you enjoy experiences uh movies maybe being a little bit stressed out sean and i are kind of being very careful about dancing around spoilers and things like that but if you enjoy any of those things, I think you'll enjoy this attraction. Again, there's no way to say it except for to say you feel like you're in the middle of an action Star Wars movie. And even if you don't like Star Wars, if you like action movies or if you just like experiencing crazy things, uh, I think you'll like Rise of the Resistance. Yeah, and I think it – and I don't want to downplay this, but I, what do you think? It goes on 15, 20 minutes from kind of the start of the experience? Yeah, I would say it's like a 15 to 20-minute experience overall. And again, we are – majorly dancing around spoilers and things like that. Yeah. All right. And so Joe, I guess to close out people out there who are listening, they're not following all the, you know, everybody on Twitter and all the news. Uh, It opens in Disneyland, January 17th. That's the day after this comes out and uh, it's already open in Walt Disney world. What sort of planning advice and tips do you have for how the whole thing works and what people should know? Yeah. So please don't be like the people that I saw when I went this past weekend, you know, this family, I think they were from Brazil, um, came up and they went to the ride and they asked to go in and they were like, do you have a boarding group? And they're like, no, we don't have one. They didn't even know what it was. Thankfully, this was around 7, 10 a.m. So they could still get a backup boarding group, which is kind of their overflow boarding groups, but don't be like those people. So to not be like those people, this is what you need to know. If you want to ride Rise of the Resistance, which you're not going to wake up early unless you're going to go ride Rise of the Resistance, you need to download the My Disney Experience app. You need to connect your Disney account to that app. And then you need to get into Hollywood Studios before official open time. This is probably, like I said, at least going to be for the next few weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if it works like this for the next few months. Then you are inside Hollywood Studios before it opens. And then at 7 a.m. or whatever time Hollywood Studios is opening on that day, immediately open up the app, click on any link that is connected to Rise of the Resistance. It's like kind of like a landing page. Um, Either say find out more or my status or join boarding group and then you should be able to join a boarding group. Turn off your Wi-Fi so you're not on Disney's Wi-Fi fighting with other people. And you know, I hope you paid your cell phone carrier. That's how you get a boarding group. Once you get a boarding group, eventually you get called back. You know, you get a push notification on your phone and you have two hours to ride the ride after that point. So that's kind of what you need to know. After your boarding group gets called, uh, that's the virtual queue. You have to stand in an actual queue, usually for like about an hour. And then you get to ride the ride. And then you get to tell all your friends about it. 
and you know post on Instagram and be proud and stuff like that. One other quick tip, if you want to ride the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run ride, um, which is your chance to be in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. If you don't want to wait in line for that one, Mark, just use the single rider line. You won't get the best role. Like you won't get to be a pilot, but you'll still get to experience the ride. In fact, I even sent my dad on that ride. He was interested in it. And so um, I sent him on that. And his uh, review was, you told me that would be less bumpy than Star Tours and you were wrong. (laughs) Well, you lied, Joe. But, I uh, guess I did lie. I was like, <laughs> I was like, the technology is newer, so I think it's less bumpy. And he's like, it's it may be newer, but it was more bumpy. But anyway, all right, and uh, yeah, that's our that's our best advice for Disneyland. Download the Disneyland app. I believe they're doing a very similar system out there to start, although they're going to make tweaks as they open, just like they have on the East Coast. So kind of pay attention before you go to their app and their website to see how they uh, are letting people know what they're doing out there in Disneyland. But yeah, definitely worth a visit. And uh, since this isn't a Disney podcast, we're going to move on because it is a travel podcast and we are all, you know, world travelers. We travel a lot. We're on airplanes a lot. And the news, you know, this last week or so about the downed Ukrainian airlines plane uh, in Iran uh, was, you know, I know it was a little personal for us today. We just learned that uh, it was actually shot down by two missiles spaced about 20 seconds apart. We covered it on the site. But I know that anytime this sort of stuff happens, it's a little personal to me. I, of course, it's very sad that there's people on the plane that that died and the whole situation is sad. And we're not going to get r- political here. This is just really about, as travelers, how we do it. I know that um, when the uh, Malaysian plane was shot down in Ukraine back, uh, what, four or five years ago, I was, you know, I was flying uh, that day. And I remember just, you know... I, I just remember it always being in my mind, like just just the moment that this could happen. Does this do these kind of stories, these kind of sad tragedies affect you? And, you know, how how is what do you think about this whole uh, this whole series of events that's happened? Yeah, I think it's scary for sure. Um, Definitely makes you uh, do a double take when you're traveling or flying. I think about it more when I'm not flying, I guess, when I'm at home or when it happens. And then once I get on a plane, I try to just block it out and not really think about it because the chances are, you know, flying is so safe compared to other transportation, even though there's been with the Max, this, you know, the Boeing Max plane with the issues with those crashes. And then this, um, it's been in the news a lot, but still that's, you know, three planes out of how however many million flights over the last few years. It, it probably will never happen to any of us. You have a better chance of getting struck by lightning, I would assume. But it's definitely something that gives you pause. And it's probably more like people, family members, you know, like my mother will probably uh, be nervous when I when I go to Europe in May now because of this, this type of stuff. But I guess I would say that, like, I don't think about it much when I'm actually traveling, but it is something that gives you pause about the whole situation. And, you know, when you have an upcoming flight, it's something that is in the back of your mind. But I try to block it out as best I can. To me, I mean, I have like a very mild fear of flying and honestly it is usually only kicks in when i'm like flying alone just because you know i don't want to orphan my children but i think the rational part of me is like like you said mark there are so few accidents and you know the odds of that happening are way lower than me getting an accident in my car um, especially if i'm doing something dumb like texting and driving i think the scary thing about flying for me and probably i assume for most people is just the fact that you know you don't have control, right? Like when I'm driving, if I text and drive and get into an accident, like that's my own fault because I'm in control. And kind of the two things that I tell myself to deal with that are number one, when I'm driving, I think I'm in control, but really that's just the illusion of control. Cause like I don't control other drivers. I don't control whether, I don't know, an asteroid hits 
me or something like that. So that's kind of number one. Like there's no real difference between flying and driving in terms of control. It's just the illusion of control. And the second thing, which uh, a buddy of mine who's a pilot told me that obviously really helps is, you know, the pilots have a major stake in keeping the flight safe. And so, you know, I think that's uh, really helped me to kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like actually anxious about it. I think my wife is close to, you know, having actual anxiety about flying, but you know, those two things have uh, helped me to, you know, just not worry about it too much in terms of flying actually in the area or stuff like that. I wasn't scheduled to do so. I, it really wasn't on my radar to start with, but if for some reason it gets on my radar, probably cool it for now, but who knows, you know, I mean, stuff like that can happen over North America too. Yeah. It's a good idea. I guess it's a good reminder to sort of be aware of geopolitical issues in the places that you are flying and kind of flying over and, you know, what airlines take what routes and you can see that. I think most airlines are now avoiding that airspace, but yeah, it's a little scary. Just like you, Joe, I can't let myself think too much about stuff like this. Common sense tells me that the odds are, you know, in my favor, I suppose, but you know, I can't really start thinking, oh my God, there's a, there's a missile down there that can just lock on this plane and shoot me down or something could go wrong and it's all over and I don't, or else I will get anxiety and I will start to to think about it. So you start to feel a little trapped. You start all that stuff. So as much as we fly, I think it does affect us and uh, you just have to be diligent. And then I guess if it's your time, it's your time. Um, that's sort of how I feel about it. And yeah, it's just a really sad situation. So yeah, it's just a sort of a scary, sad thing and, and a reminder of you know how blessed we are. And even despite how much we love to fly and we do it so much, you know, this stuff can affect us and it really is about travel and, and how that affects us. And, you know, you guys have anything else to say uh, before we move on? Uh, talk credit cards? Nope. I think the only thing I will say is uh, we couldn't have picked uh, two topics that went better together than uh, Disney World and this um, and then credit cards. Maybe well, we should have <laughs> planned that a little better. No, I but, think. Uh, but I mean, I think these are all but I I mean, I totally agree. These are all travel related issues and. It is really unfortunate. And again, you know, our condolences um, go out to those families. And I don't know. I mean, just it really sucks. I mean, it just sucks. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's all we have to say about that. And yeah, let's talk a little bit about credit cards. We try to do an in-depth kind of credit card talk every week. And last week we broke the news uh, that the Chase Sapphire Reserve card was uh, being uh, uh, devalued by they're raising the annual fee on it and only adding sort of temporary benefits to it. We kind of thought about it. Uh, what what would be the best chase card if the Sapphire Reserve isn't the best? And uh, on the site, Ian kind of made a uh, an argument for whether the Chase Inc. Preferred card, which is a business card, is now the best chase card. Uh, do either of you guys have the uh, Inc. Business Preferred? No, I, I do not have it. Uh, I applied for it for my wife actually a couple weeks ago, but she got pending and then they sent me a list of like 47 things they want plus the blood of my firstborn son. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to pursue it too much uh, further. It just seems like a lot of work, but yeah, I, I definitely wanted it, but I have the ink plus instead. How about you, Joe? Yeah. I have the prefer for my wife. Thanks to Mark recommending that I apply for it. And oh, so that's right. yeah. I, I feel a little bad because, um, they did not require any blood for my children. And I think because of that, you know, they let us ruffians in there and that's why your wife's getting a hard time. I'm so sorry, Mark. Yeah, I don't know. 
they're just sticking it to us and it's bothering me. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have any uh, business cards with them currently. So I wonder if that's part of the reason that she's getting an issue with it. Because, you know, I've never had an issue in the past with them. But I've heard of stories of people that applied for business cards through them and then get this list of stuff they need to send in. And then even people say they send everything in and they're still having issues and they get sent a new list and stuff. So that's why I'm not sure if I'm going to mess with it and just move on to the uh, uh, Sapphire Preferred or or if I should fight for it. I don't know. but. It's still a great card, a great welcome offer, the biggest welcome offer of the Ultimate War Rewards kind from Chase, actually probably the biggest overall of any Chase card. So definitely something worth considering for sure. On the surface, so if you have a Sapphire Reserve and that's the only Chase Ultimate Rewards card you have, if you close that, you'll lose all your points. So it's important to kind of figure out what's your next step. Now you could downgrade it. You could get other cards. But if you got an ink business preferred and had the Sapphire Reserve, you would be able to keep all of your points. Kind of interesting is that the ink business preferred only has a $95 annual fee compared to $550 now for the Sapphire Reserve. And they both earn 3x on travel. Both have that ability to transfer ultimate rewards to partners. No foreign transaction fees. All the kind of travel and trip protections. But the ink business preferred lacks a few things like the priority pass travel credits. And for me, the big thing would be uh, you only you lose about 0.25 cents per point if you're redeeming through the Chase portal. So the Sapphire Reserve gets 1.5 cents and the uh, business preferred gets 1.25 cents. And you only get the primary car rental coverage if you're renting on business as opposed to Sapphire Reserve where you kind of get it on any type of rental. So I mean, you're saving $450, $455 with this card. You're still getting a lot of the premium benefits. And, you know, you're getting those, most importantly, you're earning nice in the bonus category, the 3X. You know, do you guys think that this is a great alternative to the Sapphire Reserve, despite one being a business card and one being a personal card? I do think it uh, it is a great alternative because it, it does code for travel on the three times. You also get three times on internet, cable, and phone services, which is like your cell phone bill and stuff. So those are some big bills. You miss out on the restaurants, but internet, cable, and phone, that might be a bigger bill for a lot of people versus dining out. So I think that's a that's an equal trade-off. Priority pass, I don't put a ton of value on it. I think that depends on what your home airport is. Um, if you have the priority pass lounge there that you use often when you're either coming home or flying out, I have a priority pass lounge, but I don't use that much. I try to get there just in time to fly. So I don't put a ton of value in that. In the difference, you're saving several hundred dollars in the difference on the annual fee. So, And you also have the, as long as it's for business purposes, you have the primary car rental insurance, which is which is huge. I think that's one of the better perks of the Chase cards. Not Nobody else really has anything that offers primary insurance on car rentals. So I think that's big. You also get the trip delay um, insurance. So I think it covers a lot of the same things as the reserve. The big thing is the portal difference and the priority pass. Now, I don't ever use the portal. I know you do, Sean, to book uh, experiences and stuff, but I don't ever use the portal. So that's that's basically worthless to me. And priority pass I get from the Aspire or something else. So I think this is a great alternative. This is what I would do versus paying the annual fee for the reserve. But it goes down to each individual's situation and what they value when you guys put it like that sean when you're talking about how it's like uh, 455 dollars of difference and mark you're reminding kind of you can get priority pass from lots of different places and you know if that's not your airport um that doesn't even work for you and if you go back to like our 
previous episode where we talked about cards earning on dining and the chafe sapphire reserve was only at 3x and wasn't like as good as the rest like it seems clear to me that if you can get the ink preferred you know that is the card to get i already have been convinced by you guys that i need to get rid of my chase sapphire reserve and now that i have the ink preferred you know i feel even better about that decision sean's gonna be the only one keeping his well, no, I mean, it's it's a lot to think about. And, uh, you know, there's always the Sapphire Preferred as well. Like you said, I think that the argument really is should, you know, the Sapphire Preferred should be considered in there. And I think that obviously the Ink Preferred is a better card than that. Yeah, it really is a something I really got to sit down and think about. And, and I think Ian made a great argument. So I'm going to be looking at it. And I do have a couple of other ink cards, ink, uh, ink Plus and, and Ink Cash that are, you know, I could convert over. So certainly something to think about. And uh, with that, let's move on to rapid fire and uh, close this out. Mark is going to start us off. Ian wrote a a guide about Aeroplan miles, uh, how to get maximum value out of them in 2020, uh, which is Air Canada's mileage program. They're a big transfer partner for a couple different uh, categories, uh, American Express being the main one. So if you have a lot of membership rewards, it's a good program to transfer into they have around the world uh, bookings that you can do, flying Air Canada, a whole bunch of different stuff. So check it out for sure. He lists the best uses f- for it um, and then also some other options that aren't so great. Definitely check it out. It's, it's a program I haven't really used much, so it's something I should focus more on. Have you guys used it at all? No, I feel like, I don't know, this is bad on my part, but I default to using United on Star Alliance just because... I find it easier and I'm more comfortable with it, but I really need to use Aeroplan more because now that I'm multiplying my awards by five, you know, the difference between 55,000 and 70,000 miles is very significant. I mean, I guess it was significant at four, but it just even further hammers in the point. Yeah, I've used Aeroplan quite a bit, I'd say. I mean, it's not the the most used program for me, but I've used it to Europe in business class uh, a handful of times. I used it, I believe, on my my first class award from Thailand back uh, on Thai first and ANA first. I used it for a last minute award. So I, it's definitely, their website's great for searching Star Alliance. I really like it. The interface is good and their last minute bookings, I've always had really good success with that. They don't charge a last minute booking fee. So, and uh, of course, transferring from American Express membership rewards is pretty easy. So yeah, definitely check out that post. And I've never had uh, too many, I've never had issues uh, using Aeroplan. So, uh, and uh, moving on just to fee-free 5X, uh, yeah, Staples, Getting back in the game. Usually kind of January is a quiet time for gift card deals, but Staple is Staples is once again this week selling Visa gift cards with no fees. And uh, if you have a Chase Inc. cash card, 5X points, no fees, you can lo- buy these cards, use them for bills, use them for other kinds of spending. We have a really popular article on the website on all the ways that you can liquidate Visa gift cards if you want. This is one of our favorite offers, one of the favorite offers of our readers. So we always wanted to kind of point it out when it comes back up and uh, you can find out more on the website. And Joe, you're going to talk about our favorite hotel chain, right? 100%. My favorite hotel chain, you know, had to do this for my rapid fire. Radisson is offering 120,000 Radisson points on their credit card right now. I don't know how you can turn that down. I'm definitely going to turn it down. But I do think uh, <laughs> I think I might actually grab it. Yeah, I was well. That's 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 why I wanted to have it as a rapid fire because you know I know I've been talking about how my Radisson points are useless uh, on this podcast all over the place. I've been talking about that. However, one hundred twenty thousand points is a lot of points for people who use Radisons, and I know Mark, you've discussed before that you have found value. So I am curious. 
where have you come down on this offer? Are you going to uh, apply for this card? I'm kind of back and forth on it because I'm still looking for that third program for hotels. You know, I use uh, Hyatt as my number one. Hilton's my backup because Hyatt just doesn't have the the uh, footprint that is needed wherever you travel. So Hilton's usually covers you where wherever Hyatt doesn't. As long um, as you I, only travel where there's a Hyatt, it works just fine. Yeah. So I need that third program, you know, just in case sometimes Hilton's prices are variable so they can be skyrocketing and then you're kind of stuck with nothing that's useful. And Marriott, I've, I've sworn off a long time ago, Wyndham was going to be it when they had the 15,000 uh, points a night bookings. But now that they've made theirs where it goes up to all the best hotels are 30,000, that's kind of gone to the wayside. Plus their customer service is terrible. Um, so Radisson's been that backup option that I've I've been considering. And this might just pull me in there. Plus, you know, when you pay the $75 annual fee, I think you get 40,000 points a year um, instead of like an anniversary cert. So that's nice that you can kind of build up miles over the years as you're paying and versus a cert that you have to use within one year. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I suppose I should actually do the rapid fire and say what the offer is instead of just uh, <laughs> just randomly, bashing it, just just randomly referencing it, bashing it. So it is 120,000 Radisson points when you spend $3,000 on your card in the first 90 days. As Mark was saying, every year when you renew your card, it's a $75 annual fee. You get 40,000 renewal points. I'm starting to laugh because I'm like, oh my gosh, should I get this card? What the heck? (laughs) Do it, Joe. Do it. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, there's um, Radisson Blue properties in Europe that go for like 44,000. So you're basically getting a Radisson Blue for 75 bucks a year. I'm I'm selling you on it. You're going to get it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Has anybody been into a Radisson Red? <laughs> Is that like a real thing? Or are you just trying to be funny? That's not a real thing. He's trying to be that, funny. I that's what I thought. I'm not, I'm not going like, to look it oh, up. I'm going to look like a total idiot. If nope. It's it a real the tone thing. in his voice. I knew he was joking. All right. Move on. Sean's rapid fire. And you guys yes. are fools. Yes, of course there's a Radisson Red. I'm serious. I've never been to one, but there is Radisson Red. That's their boutique brand. That's their fancy brand. Really? really they look really cool. Yeah. I, uh, Where are they at? Is there like three of them? Oh, yeah. Dang, that, I, that, that I don't. Yeah. See? See? <laughs> uh, it looks nice, though, right? Minneapolis. Yeah. And they actually look nice. That's why, why I wanted to point why out. Why is there a Radisson properties. Blue and a Radisson Red in Minneapolis? <laughs> Nobody wants to go there. I've talked about this before. Portland Nobody. downtown? Wow. Uh, yeah. Brussels. Um yeah, so I guess those another place three. I don't want to go is Brussels. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's there is opportunity there. It's a good offer. It's increased, and uh, yeah, close this out, Mark. Talk. Let's talk about uh, how Uber's changing stuff in California because of that that new law that I am not. Yeah, the, the terrible law. Uh, so California, for people that don't know, passed a law. Basically, they were aiming it at like Uber and Lyft drivers um, that they wanted them to have to get paid better or be like legit employees versus independent contractors so they made this law and it's it's actually like affected other people like ian lives in california so it's affected him that he can only write 35 posts per outlet per year because of this so uber's changing up some things because according to the new law they can't a lot of the drivers can't work for them for very long because after 35 rides they should be done so they're changing up some things for the riders like estimated price is coming back versus where they have the guaranteed price just because they don't know where the driver's going to be or how, you know, I think it's with the legality of the whole thing is they have to change the way they bill things and the way they code things and, and what they let you do in the app and stuff. 
I haven't gotten into the gist of of the law, so I don't know exactly how this makes it seem that they're within the the framework of the law, but let's just say it's a terrible law. So you're not guaranteed a price. You're going to get an estimated price range when you're in California from now on. That's one thing. You can uh, schedule rides with favorite drivers. So if you give somebody a five-star rating, you can actually request them, which is unique. Uh, If you give a one-star rating, you'll never see them again. The rewards is going to be different in California for the, for these reasons. And then the drivers also, they get more info because of the law that they can actually see more of where the ride's going to go. So that might lead to more cancellations if it's a short ride and stuff. So that might be an issue of if you're just trying to go a couple miles away, they, you might get a lot of cancellations. So hopefully this law gets repealed or changed or adjusted because it's just awful all the way through. But if you are visiting California, you might have issues using Uber or Lyft. Uh, something to be aware of. Check out the article. It's got more details for you. All right. And that'll do it. No other podcast will cover that range of topics in about 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so uh, before yep. we go. Don't know whether to be proud or horrified of us. Probably so, a little bit of both. So that before, was the smorgasbord of stuff. We just threw crap against the wall and whatever stuck is what we went yeah, with. But uh, it's real and it's stuff that's important to us. And we think hopefully it's important uh, to you and Hopefully you learn that there's a Radisson Red, and if you're in Miami, they are opening one up near the airport. Coming, I still soon. think I still think tr- Sean's trolling me. I, I, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. They're real and they're spectacular, Mark. They're beautiful. Now right, you're getting Joe. that card, Red. Yes. All right, Joe. Tell us where they can. Uh, everybody can find you uh, when they're not listening to the podcast. You can find me at As a Joe Flies all over social media, and you can find me podcasting about miles and points at SaveRossiObservationDeck.com. And if you are someone who doesn't go to Disney regularly, but you need advice, tips to help maximize your vacation, please check out my Disney podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com. It's designed not for people like Sean and myself, but for people who want to go to Disney, have a good time, but don't need the stress of all that planning. You know, we uh, take care of all that for you. Mark? You can find me in uh, New Orleans on February 8th in person, in real life. Uh, Beers are on you if you show up. I'm just kidding. I might buy you a drink. Maybe not. With Maybe Sean's you money, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sean will be there as well. Hopefully we'll see you there. I think there's only like 10 or 15 tickets left. So if you were interested, make sure you get in on that quickly. Also, you can find me on the website. Just comment on any of my articles and I'll respond to you there. Or email me at mark at milestomemories.com. Also in the Facebook group, 24-7 almost. Join that. There's links to it on milestomemories.com. How about you, Sean? And you can find me at milestomemories.com, Miles to Memories on Facebook. We have our reselling group uh, with almost 3,000 people. Our Disney Hacks group just past 1,000 people. Disney hackers looking to uh, save time and money on Disney. And also our Miles and Points group with uh, almost 11,000 other people. So join us on Facebook to discuss everything. Read the website, milestomemories.com. And until next week, see you later. Bye. You better start drawing that blood then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I you got, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't the blood of your firstborn child. Oh, oh. I mean, honestly, <laughs> see, it's funny when you get it. It's funny when you get it. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah. You better well, draw that blood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a vampire. Anyway.
cards earning on dining and safe chase and the chase. I'll, I'll take this. Yeah. So we're giving Ian some more love. He wrote a, a guide to using aeroplane miles for max value um, in 2020. So, you know, that's- aeroplane, what kind what? of miles mark? <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you aeroplane? Sorry. Is that how you say it, right? Aeroplan? Yes. Yes. Aeroplan. You make the you make you make the French words English and the English words French. <laughs> well, I mean it is Canadian, so it, there's some French in there, right? Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui.